Hello, this is Anne Wynn, Senior Associate Conference Producer with Cambridge Health Tech Institute. We are here for a special two-part podcast series for Pep Talk, the Protein Science Week, which runs January 9th through 13th in San Diego, California. Today, we're featuring insights from protein science experts who are part of the It's a Wrap closing plenary panel discussion, which represents various R&D stages that are, in turn, encompassed by the seven topic pipelines at Pep Talk. We've asked today's experts the same question. What do you see as the next most promising innovation in your field? Here's Dr. Thomas Lau, Professor of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology and Director of the Biomolecular Interaction Technology Center at the University of New Hampshire. He represents the Formulation and Stability Pipeline. I believe that the most important thing is to come up with better predictive means of determining the solubility and viscosity of protein solutions at high concentrations. At the moment, these techniques are not very successful. What we need to do is be able to go from either structure or initial measurements of some sort to being able to determine whether there's going to be difficulty in manufacturing a protein or difficulty with viscosity in dispensing the protein. There's work going on in this area. Right now, we're still at the stage where we're gathering the data necessary to learn how to make these predictions. And in particular, we need to have more data on the viscosity of protein solutions as it relates to other physical properties, and in particular to the charge on the protein where possible on the dipole moment of the protein. There are instruments available for making these two measurements, and they would be very helpful in terms of being able to cut the cost and cut the time from the point of determining a candidate molecule to the time that that molecule is actually put out for use. Here's Bjorn Voldborg, Director of Cho Cell Line Development with the Novo Nordisk Foundation Center for Biosustainability at the Technical University of Denmark, representing the Biotherapeutic Expression and Production Pipeline. I think that the continuous development of the CRISPR-based tools that we have might be the most biggest uh, innovation possibilities, not only to engineer the cells by knocking out genes, but actually also being able to target a lot of factors, uh, transcription factors and silencers and others to the specific areas on the genomes, thereby actually being able to manipulate the cell's behavior in a very refined way. I can see that as a possibility in the future, which will make it possible to induce different possibly even different responses during a production of the protein. So during the different phases can actually turn on or turn off genes that might or might not be beneficial for the production. Here is Dr. Andrew Fosberry, Senior Scientific Investigator in Protein and Cellular Sciences at GlaxoSmithKline, representing process technologies and purification. The way I think things are going for the future, all right, that will enhance discovery in my field is in the area of what I call designer microbes. So this is using the current enhanced toolbox that we have from a synthetic biology point of view, and that includes how we can sequence genomes using the next generation sequencing technology that's out there now, how we can use the new molecular biology techniques such as Gibson Assembly, CRISPR-Cas9, etc. These are all new technologies that are actually coming to the fore on a monthly, yearly basis. So that basically technology is changing at a huge pace. And these are actually giving us a huge choice of tools that will enable us to actually build the microbes of the future. So what I mean by designer microbes is, so if, if we go back a while, When I first started working in the industry, we had microbes that 
produce certain secondary metabolites. We didn't know how they produced them, what pathways were involved, etc., etc. Okay, and if we wanted to enhance them, we would take some methods of random mutagenesis, screen thousands upon thousands of different mutants to come up with one that maybe produced slightly more than we actually had to start with. But we didn't know why it produced slightly more than when we started. But with the tools of today, what we can do is with the next generation sequencing, we can actually sequence a genome overnight. We can be looking and annotating the data the next day, and we can zero in on pathways or genes involved in what we think is the metabolite that we're interested in and change those for the better. We can knock out pathways. We can knock in pathways using CRISPR-Cas9. We can move pathways from one organism or microbe to another, which may be beneficial, and that's what we would hope. If the actual microbe had some of the benefits that we wanted, we can also use the new evolution technologies that are out there with higher screening capabilities that we can actually explore the whole diversity of our evolution libraries to actually zero in on the mutants or the enzymes that we really want. That wraps up part one of this Q&A series. Stay tuned later for part two with more expert panelists. All of them will be discussing the future of protein therapeutics, challenges, and highlights from Pep Talk, the Protein Science Week's presentations at the closing plenary panel, It's a Wrap. The panel takes place the last day of this event, which runs January 9th through 13th in San Diego, California. To learn more about these experts and their own research, visit www.chi-peptalk.com slash plenary hyphen panel for registration details and enter the key code podcast. This is Anne Wynn. Thanks for listening.